Hello out there to whoever's listening, uh, if anyone's listening. This is Pastor Tim Dooner of Valley Forge Presbyterian Church, and I welcome you to this first sermon from our uh, late fall winter 2019 sermon series on Christian and Congregational Vitality, which is the first of three focus areas uh, for our consideration and reflection and implementation along this journey of becoming a Matthew 25 congregation. Uh, this sermon is entitled, um, Marks of Vitality, Lifelong Discipleship Formation. I invite you to enjoy and to become centered by a time of quiet and stillness as we prepare to think about this together. Okay, what I share for your consideration and imagination now is in response to a portion of Paul's letter to the Romans. This text uh, is from the eighth chapter of that work. Paul wrote, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In fact, we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. We know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. We are grateful for how God uses this scripture to shape and inspire and call us. So this fall, the fall of 2019, uh, our congregation uh, is taking, we are taking our first steps along this journey of a new season and being the church here in the Upper Marion area and all throughout the world. We've accepted the invitation of our denomination, joining with Christians of, of many more denominations, to be a Matthew 25 church. It's the invitation to restore the relevance of the church in the world by being a people of action, where God's love and justice and will for all humanity are embodied and acted out and on display in us, the church. So um, in a series of sermons, uh, we considered the foundation for this season with the stories and the parables that Jesus tells throughout what's recorded in Matthew's Gospel, 23rd through 25th chapters. Uh, those sermons are also online and on the podcast here, and I encourage you to go listen to them if you haven't yet. Um, these reflections took us on this journey of considering the argument that he makes um, according to Matthew's Gospel. 
he makes this parable proclamation that the stones of the temple and all of the legalistic religion based on fear and guilt that happened within it were going to be thrown down. He talked of his religion of love for God and neighbor that would replace it. His parable of the faithful servants busy doing the master's work. The parable of the ten bridesmaids about God's call coming to us at any time and the need for us to always be watchful. His parable of the talents about how we're all entrusted by God with talents and resources that God expects us to use uh, up to the limit of our abilities for God's sake and not just for our own. And his parable of the sheep and goats, which uh, largely inspires this new season of participation in this initiative. Um, parable that invites us to consider that the ultimate expression of Christianity is the intentional love for the least of those around us, those most in need. And that this kind of life lived with love for God and neighbor, especially the neighbor in need, is the kind of life that God has prepared for us all since the foundation of the world. And, and when we live in this way, we inherit the kingdom that God always intended for us to be in together. Now, this is a challenging invitation because it's an invitation to deconstruct some of our religion and its rituals, norms, dogmas, assumptions, and expectations. It's the invitation to consider that worship services, fellowship groups and studies, gifts that we offer are not in and of themselves what God is calling us to do, but are that which equip us for what God is actually calling us to do, an intentional loving care for our neighbors most in need until they are no longer in need. It's the invitation to believe Jesus, not just to believe in him. To believe Jesus when he says things like, go, love God, love neighbor, judge not, feed the hungry, heal the sick, sell all the extra stuff you have to benefit the poor, and that this will be the most full and abundant life. This, um, this initiative, the Matthew 25 initiative, comes with three areas of focus as part of its larger invitation to deconstruct, recalibrate, reimagine, and get active. And that first area of focus is to intentionally seek a greater vitality as a congregation, to build ourselves up as the church in strength and energy for the sake of that future work. And this is where we're focusing in this series of episodes and in this particular season uh, within the life of our congregation in the in the late fall, early winter of 2019, as we consider seven marks or characteristics of congregations that are vital, Christians that are vital. And then after the new year, 2020, um, we'll, be, we'll begin to reflect on the other two areas of focus in this initiative, which are the alleviation of systemic poverty and dismantling systemic racism, both of which we can obviously imagine as intentional loving action for the sake of neighbor in need. But before we do that, we have to think about what it means to be more vital. We have to seek a, a greater vitality and energy as a congregation. Um, maybe, maybe we should be careful about how we talk about that. Um, maybe we have the sense that vitality only means energy and liveliness. So if we think about what it means for a group of Christians to be vital, we imagine something that's high energy with lots of noise and movement, lots of people, lots of catchy marketing going out, big events that attract lots of people, um, 
Maybe we think of our uh, music leader, Art Henry, leading leading groups of people and singing like it's a Billy Joel concert. Uh, or maybe we imagine Pastor Me running around with like oodles of charisma and good hair and rock star microphones and skinny jeans. Or, or, or maybe maybe a congregation like ours or, or many of our sister congregations um, would might be tempted to think that because of who we are, um, that maybe because we are uh, have a little less having a little less energy now than we used to. Um, maybe we feel like we don't have what we need in order to be really highly energetic. Maybe we're tempted to think that we can't be vital, but, but vitality isn't really just about energy and volume. And, and, and I especially, um, I need to be careful about the ways I talk about it, just as we all need to be careful about the ways we think about it. The word vital means that which is absolutely necessary or essential. Our vital signs in our bodies demonstrate that we have what we need to continue living. If we're breathing, if our heart's pumping, if our senses are active, if our brains can respond to the stimuli in the world around us, then we have vitality. Within us is a power giving continuance to our life. The secret of vitality with intentionality is then not to seek more energy or volume or numbers, and it's not to try to make ourselves more attractive. To seek greater vitality is to seek those vital functions that truly hold the power to give the continuance of our life, to claim them, to nurture them, to strengthen them. And we affirm that we're not just after any kind of continued institutional or organizational life, but a very specific life within the context of our calling into this Matthew 25 being. Um, in which we find a fullness and faithfulness in life by our intentional loving care of neighbors in need. Any church can come up with events with big banners and DJs blasting music and can gather a bunch of people to have some sort of experience or entertainment and, oh, by the way, see the name of our church. But, but as a Matthew 25 church, what, what, we're, what we're thinking about is that when people see our name, we, don't, we want them to see it not because we did something energetic or entertaining, but because we did something in the spirit of the love of Jesus for the sake of our neighbors in need. To seek greater vitality is to seek those vital functions that, that truly ha- hold the power for us to continue our life as those who embody and act out the loving will of God. So the seven vital functions within a healthy and effective church that we're going to consider in this uh, series of episodes lifelong discipleship formation, intentional, authentic evangelism, outward incarnational focus, the empowerment of servant leadership, spirit-inspired worship, caring relationships, and ecclesial health. Just as an individual seeking a greater personal vitality would work to strengthen the lungs and the heart, the senses and the brain, the church that wants to be more vital as a collective seeks to strengthen these vital functions. And it's important to note that these seven vital functions don't include what we might assume are the life forces of church growth, charismatic leadership, attractiveness, being hip, full pews, oodles of money, bright, big, shiny buildings, etc., etc., etc. We're invited to see that what actually makes us vital is not a a list of things that are out of our reach or out of the reach of any congregation but are already possible, already within our hands, 
if we choose to exercise them. So in this uh, episode, we consider the first of these vital functions, lifelong discipleship formation, without which uh, the community of the church cannot be vital or healthy. So Jesus, who is, who is our head, uh, um, our, uh, our, our master whom we seek to serve and, and emulate uh, and grant authority in our life, Jesus lived and taught in a time when the Pharisaical leaders were the loudest and the most energetic religious leaders. They had, they had everybody's attention. Uh, and I would guess that was sometimes due to their charisma, maybe, and other times because of the ways that they were able to leverage people's fear of being punished by God for not believing or doing the right things. So the whole emphasis of the religion was trying to save the self out of fear. I'm afraid for my life here, thought a contemporary. I'm, a, I'm afraid for my, for my life in the next life beyond this one. And, and so I have to do this ritual or I have to make this offering or I have to condemn this neighbor who's different in this way so that God won't, you know, smite me, punch me, ignore me. But Jesus uh, started a very different kind of movement with very different understandings of who God is and what God was really asking of us, humanity. Jesus' emphasis was not on saving the self out of fear of God, but on remaking the world into the kingdom on earth out of faith in God. Jesus' message about God was, was not that God was going to judge and punish out of wrath, but that God was going to call and commission and unify out of love. We can hear Paul echoing these same themes to the Romans that we heard from Jesus and Matthew, uh, those who are the children of God, the beloved of God, are not those who believe the right things or make the right sacrifices at the temple or go through the right rituals in order to save themselves. The stones of that kind of institution and that kind of religion were to crumble. He sought to bring them down. The children of God are those whose lives are driven by God's Spirit being active who live by God's will for all rather than by their own fleshy desires. Paul wrote that this life is all about God working in the midst of things here, in the, here now, in this life for good. Um, as we pray every week as a church, you know, we pray for God's kingdom to come and for God's good will to be done here on earth as it is in heavens. This is the purpose to which we are called. We're not called to piety or to religiosity or, or to righteousness and judgment of others. We're not called to save ourselves. We are called to participate in God's purposes in this life. And, he, and here's Paul's conclusion, the way, he, the way he paints this picture. When we think about why God justifies and forgives us, why God calls us, or why God might glorify any of us, it's because we were predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus the one who came not to condemn the world, but to save it by love and action and to lead it back to a place of peace. That's what God has, has uh, intended for us all along. We're, we're not forgiven by God so that we might know we've saved ourselves and then can go back to do whatever we want to do and start that whole cycle all over again the next week. We're, we're forgiven so that we can be even more fully conformed to the image of Christ. We're not called by God to uh, lives caught in this never-ending cycle of trying to save ourselves by piety, rituals, obligatory sacrifices, or offerings. 
We're called by God to be conformed steadily throughout our whole lives, more fully into the image of Christ. To put a fine point on it. We're not called to be good church members who support an institution for the sake of saving ourselves. We're called to be Christians who support the work and ministry of Jesus, to inherit the kingdom on earth by living with that same love and attitudes and actions as Jesus. We're called to be like Jesus, to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty and clothes to the naked, to help the homeless to find shelter, the stranger to find hospitality, to bring healing to the sick. We're not just called to believe that Jesus said these, or that Jesus did these, but to believe and implement what he said. To know that these aren't just his ideas and actions, but the ideas and actions that are to be ours as well as his followers in this movement. If our religion's about saving ourselves, we're still missing the point. If we're only concerned for ourselves, then our congregations will die with us, as too many of them are already. But if our religion is about becoming conformed to the image of Christ, becoming more and more like Jesus, not just believing in him, but believing him, taking what he taught as authoritative, implementing what he taught into our daily living, loving others with the same love, seeing others with the same compassion, helping others to, um, with the same willingness to sacrifice that he had, then our religion is faithful. We're answering the true call. We're vital and our lifelong commitment to be disciples of Jesus, who act like him, that contains the power to continue the life of the church. So what can we do to become more intentionally vital in this regard? Well, just as I might exercise in order to strengthen the vitality of my heart over time, what might we do to strengthen our commitment to not just be pious or religious or a good church member, but to become more and more conformed to the image of Christ with each day? Are we willing to sit daily in the silence of God's guidance? Are, are we willing to read and reflect daily out from the scriptures? And at Valley Forge on our website and, and in our building, we have some guidelines called our Discipleship at Home program, where there's a, a, a reading that we get to sit and reflect in daily for a week, each week. So that every day we're giving ourselves that spiritual exercise necessary to strengthen a vital Christ-likeness. Uh, and this is a bit tangential, but, but all of those daily readings and reflections, I would really encourage us to, as often as we're able, uh, to, to find in the scriptures the pieces that, that really point out who Jesus really was. And to not get uh, kind of distracted or lose our focus on Jesus at the center by trying to emulate other um, other characters or other voices in the scriptures. Are, are we willing to participate in, in a regular gathering with, with the intent of that being a, to study and reflect on the scriptures together? That's like going to a weekly exercise or spin class with others. Um, so are we willing to do that so that we have that regular spiritual exercise for the sake of strengthening our Christ-likeness? And if we can't participate in either one of those, can we try and create a new opportunity that fits into our patterns and our rhythms, that fits into our social circles about how, how we might grow and encourage others to grow with us? Um, again, not, not into uh, uh, good church people, um, first and foremost, but first and foremost as people whose lives start to look like Jesus' life. Um, because we have to acknowledge that uh, a vital future 
or the church and its work will not come as we seek to save ourselves. Whether that's our um, commitment uh, within our understanding of what our religion is to find a saving for ourselves as an individual and making all of our religion self-focused in that it's all just about trying to save myself or saving ourselves as an institution. Our vital future won't come as we seek to do that which is attractive or upbuilding to our budget and our roles. A vital future will come as we seek above all else to grow more fully and faithfully into the image of Christ and to love and to act in the midst of our world in ways that the world around us sees. Um, in all things, in the way of Christ. So with God's help, our prayer is that we might seek a lifelong orientation to be formed more and more fully each day as disciples of Jesus, who live into his promise. When he said, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and indeed will do even greater things. Amen. Uh, may God bless you in your reflections and your prayers.